say I'm swinging at about 115 miles an hour, and I was seeing 160 miles an hour. <laughs> That's pretty good, Bryson. Hello, everybody. Thanks for watching. This is episode number 92 of No Putts Given. I'm Miranda, and I've got Chris, Tony, and Harry with me. And we were just talking about how Harry got his dingers bag in, and it has has his face on it, and he's considering bringing it um, on his next stop on the form tour, right? I'm considering it, but I'm definitely not going to be carrying it. No. So, no. Such a wannabe trotty golf move right there. <laughs> British guy with his face on a bag. Have I seen that before? Oh, he has one on his bag? That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like unless you come in in like top five, that's a risky move to make. Well, that's why I'm not taking it. <laughs> I mean, granted, this is a professional event, but like a staff bag in any event, if you're not like on the PJ Tour or or Corn Ferry, super yeah. high echelon, that's that's a baller move to put your face on that bag. Is <laughs> I like the staff bag. It came out great. Vessel did an amazing job and. I am going to show it off proudly to anyone who gives a shit or doesn't give a shit. They're going to see it. <laughs> Except at a tour event. I think at the amateur level, like club events at your home course, absolutely goldmine. Yep. Because cause people, frankly, won't know what to do with you. Yeah, they'll be freaked out. Like, yes. what is this dude? And then I'll shank it and they would be like, why has he got a staff bag? All right, so this week we want to talk about uh, a much-anticipated delivery that we got to the facility. Harry, the Garmin Approach R10 came in this week. What was it like out of the box? It was like the pictures, Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> we out. It was exciting to get it in um, and really test it out because this is uh, a huge manufacturer that really does some really high-end products regarding GPS watches and the rangefinder when they first come out. It was pretty decent. So when it came to this R10, I was really, really excited about it because I think they could really do well in this in this uh, area. Talk to me about features. What does it say it offers? So it offers 42,000 courses that you can play from your from your home. It looks 3D, but it's not, it's 2D basically. Something out of um, Mario Kart on Nintendo 64, just think of that. And you can actually set it up and play the course, say, McGregor. Get enough of that at home, thanks. <laughs> well, you're gonna be in snow for six months of the year, so you might as well play it once fair in a while. Fair point, fair point. So you can actually play the course at home using this monitor. So it's got that, which is pretty sweet. You can have a weekly tournament, so you can play other people across the pond or wherever you wanna kick their ass at. True Golf E6 Connect. Novice question, probably. It links to your phone and that's how you're playing these courses? Or is it like one of the more expensive ones where you can project it on the screen? No, so it's 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 a golf simulator app. Okay. I would imagine there's there's some PC software. E6 is a yeah. huge package that that has been designed to work with just about every launch monitor of consequence on the planet. So yeah, really, that that is a cool kind of tie-in to have. All right, so we put it to the test, and we have said on a number of occasions that personal launch monitors just aren't there yet. We still compare it to the GC Quad as our baseline, right? But Harry, you put this one to the test, pinning it up against the Rapsodo, which is our winner for personal launch monitors, correct? Yeah, for, you know, in, in within a certain number for price-wise. In that budget range. We're in about yeah. 500 so this is $600. Uh, the Rapsodo is in around like 500 mark. 
so we put it up against that. We also put it up against the GC Quad just for reference as well. It did some things very, very similar to the Rapsodo with regards to certain swing speeds, certain angles. So it held its own for the most part. But like when it came to any other launch monitor that I've tested regarding buyer's guides, it's just unfortunately okay. So grand scheme of things, it's another personal launch monitor that still does not live up to the bigger units, the $18,000, the GC quads, the track commands, correct? Correct, correct, yes. It does not live up to their expectations. I'll tell you why. Basically- Tell me why. Why? (laughs) Tell me why. (laughs) You have a small Doppler radar on the Rapsodo and the R10, the approach R10. And when it comes to indoors, you need at least 16 feet for the flight of the shot so the device can actually see that shot. And it needs a lot more space to actually see the whole flight so it can actually capture accurate data. So Tony, what I'm hearing Harry say is, it's not bad, but it's not revolutionizing the personal launch monitor space. Yeah, when you decide, hey, I'm going to buy a $500 launch monitor versus you know, we'll start even at the low end of, of, you know, where you start to get quality. Like a two grand Skytrack. Yeah. Versus a 2000. Like you, you, you have to just know inherently that there is an accuracy cost associated with that, right? There's no rainbows and unicorns here. Like that is just the reality. It is a step down. Looking at the data, what we found is these are, these are generally pretty good for ball speed and if the shot mm-hmm. is, I will say, generally straight, the the total distance number tends to be pretty good. Where things get wonky is if you, you know, if you you fade one quite a bit, or you know, we we had a specific shot we looked at quite a bit where, you know, a GC quad, and again, not a fair comparison, but it does help us understand what the real ball flight was. You know, GC quad read it as a as a little push draw, and the Garmin unit read it as a push slice, and so you have a ball that, you know. If you're looking at a plot down the fairway, they were 40 yards apart. And you're like, that, that, that's not accurate. You know, one of the things I look at with the Garmin unit is it does give you a spin number. I'm like, well, how reliable is that spin number? Turns out not it's particularly not. reliable. Right. Again, just comparing, comparing to a known good, you know, we're seeing on, on driver numbers, we saw differences of, of several hundred RPMs on, on irons and wedges, 2,000, give or take. RPM difference. And so that's a lot though. Yeah, that's a lot. And so it's like, yeah, you would be better <laughs> off not providing this number than trying to extrapolate right. <laughs> it. And I wasn't there. I didn't test it yet. I just I just looked at some of the data and it the thing that jumped out to me right away was like it seemed like as you got up and up and up in swing speed, the variation on the Garmin was huge because if I'm if I got 170 well, mile an hour ball speed, which I don't, but if I'm Harry and I got 170 mile an hour ball speed. The difference between 3,500 RPM backspin and 2,500 RPM backspin could be 30, 40, 50 yards. And that's just for anything other than entertainment purposes, it's it's almost better to not have the, the data. I would say similar to Rapsodo, I think going kind of line for line and comparing and saying, hey, which one do I feel is is likely to be more accurate? I think I think the Rapsodo is is the more accurate of the two, though. You know, I, I was impressed by what I saw with the Garmin on, on wedge numbers. I think that was typically yeah. a little closer to foresight. Um, but would, what would scare me off, you know, especially if we think about, hey, can I use this for speed training and understanding how, how fast am I swinging this golf club? 
we just saw some major, major whiffs on club head speeds. And when I say major, yeah. I'm talking. So I'm swinging it about, you know, just to see about 115 miles an hour on a GC quad to 120, depending on if I'm going after it. And I was seeing 160, 160 miles an hour. <laughs> That's pretty good, Bryson. Nice swing. Yeah, I, I'm not like, so right. bad. Maybe you can wear your face on your own bag after all. <laughs> but then when it came to it, so if you had 164, then you look at the distance and it didn't equate to the distance either. It was actually shorter. It was the, the most poorly struck 164 mile an hour club. Well, that's what ever. I'm saying is some of the data is just patently useless. Yeah. Here's what I saw. So where it, where it didn't do well was obviously as soon as you hit that D button for driver, it just decides to be like, nah, this is so much. I can't do it anymore. Nah. Basically, it just says, I don't have a window, even though it does have a window, and it just guesses. I did 115 miles an hour, 120 miles an hour. It did not go. Couldn't pick it up. And what club are most people going to want to hit? A driver. Well, in, in fairness, right, Harry's club head speed it far exceeds the let average me, guy. Tony, but... let me get to where I'm going. All right. Where are you going? <laughs> So then I got to 100 miles an hour. I got someone in to hit 100 miles an hour. It was still very inaccurate. I got someone to hit 90 miles an hour and it was still inaccurate. So from there, we've pretty much covered a lot of the swing speeds across the golf in public and it still wasn't accurate. So it just happens to be that driver setting, which I still think they need to figure out. That it was just disappointing. I mean, the the upside here is these are kind of the things that you know can be addressed with firmware because yeah. there is a lot of you know, there's there's yeah let's I'm gonna measure this, but there's also how does how does my programming affect how I measure, and so there are always opportunities to improve. So it doesn't necessarily mean this is gonna be a deal breaker, um, but also there are no guarantees it will be significantly improved yeah. later either. So it was kind of what what I settled on in talking to Harry and again looking through the data is. You know, there there are some, as he mentioned, some really compelling features with the Garmin unit, some some cool simulation features, some stuff it does that the others don't do. And so it, it's sort of that balance. I feel like the Rapsodo is probably a little more accurate, not as feature rich. And the other thing we can just mention briefly is that, you know, when using it in direct sunlight, the the mm -hmm. Garmin proved to be a bit more resilient than the Rapsodo, which yeah, the Rapsodo just decided so. to shut off and say, "Nah, I'm done." Well, it's phone dependent, correct? So if your iPhone yes. overheats, the Rapsodo right. can't do anything, correct? I had a phone right. on the Rapsodo and a phone on the Garmin at exactly the same time. the The Garmin was completely fine, but the Rapsodo, because it's on a device and it's on the phone running itself as well. It decides right. to overheat in five minutes in 90 degree heat. So in the summer, it's going to be tough for you to actually use that product unless it's inside. But the conclusion I came with this with this Garmin is, is the hype justified? Is it a good product? And it depends on your personal preference. If you're Okay, so I'm putting you on the spot, yeah. Harry. Features of the Garmin, maybe it's sustainability in the heat versus accuracy of Rapsodo. You've got... The $600, which one are you buying? Personally, I would buy the Garmin. Interesting. That's nothing to do with accuracy, okay? If I'm going to go for accuracy, I'm going to go for Rapsodo. But if I'm going for Garmin, it's purely because I want to beat my mates and use all the features for fun purposes. I want the banter to kick my, kick my, ass, uh, kick my mate's ass across <laughs> the pond. I'm not using it for accuracy. So you wouldn't use it to improve your game? No. It's a toy. I'm, I'm not going right. to use it to, uh, to map my bag 
do gap testing, really delve into the data. I am never ever gonna use this Garmin just because I don't know which shot is consistent and which is not. So therefore I am very confused and I will not do it. If I want some accuracy, I'm gonna go for the Rapsodo, but for shits and giggles, I'm gonna go for the Garmin if, if I have to pick one. All right, Chris, you're on the spot. You've got 600 bucks, which one are you buying? Yep, I'm going with the Rapsodo um, because of the accuracy component and I think it's easier to add features you know, software, like I said, you know, update those. I think it'd be much easier for Rapsodo to add entertainment features to the suite of the product since they already have the accuracy component to add those would be much easier than, than taking a product that's already really inaccurate that has some kind of nice window dressing and, and features and boost up that accuracy. Not unlike what we've seen with Foresight do over the years. They uh, were very accurate, had a lot of those things, but, you know, their graphics package and, and kind of... Uh, consumer facing stuff was you know really pretty pretty far behind until you know the last year or two so i'm going to accuracy and let them uh, let them uh, uh, create some better software all right tony let's break the tie you're on the spot which one are you buying i'm, I'm saving the money i just i i, <laughs> I know i i, but I was I, gonna say that but i had to pick one <laughs> what we see with and, and pick any of these tiny Doppler devices we talk about. What we see is on some, some shots, they're pretty good. And on some shots, they're not. And fundamentally, like if you're only right, you know, 50-50 or, you know, whatever the percentage is, if you're wrong often enough, you're, it's just not enough accuracy to trust. You, you don't know that what you're seeing from one shot to the next is real. And if I'm using this in any type of scenario where I where I want to know what the ball actually did, which is, you know, if I'm if I'm practicing and trying to get better, I definitely want to know what the shot did. And if I'm trying to beat my friends, well, incumbent in that deal is that everybody knows what the shot did. And if there's there's that much fluff in that, it's I I, I can't justify it. So yeah, if you swing a driver 164, you're probably going to win long drive. <laughs> yeah, I mean in theory, right? So <laughs> then you get your face on a bag. You know whether you you want to want to bank that money and for something better or spend it on hookers and blow. I mean <laughs> whatever works for you. But yeah, I just. But basically, at the end of the day, the Garmin <laughs> does have a, a market for those golfers who don't care about accuracy. They just want to have a toy to play around with. That it does cater to that golfer. Yeah, I mean, if you want to sum it up here, what we've learned at this particular point in time is that if you want a complete suite of metrics delivered with accuracy, you're going to have to pay for you, it. Your your entry level is still $2,000. The Garmin has not changed any piece of that no. equation. Mm -hmm. nope. Thank you, Tony. I did want a summary. I appreciate that. All right. If you want to take a look at Harry's uh, write-up and hype meter on this, it's uh, published last week, so it's on the website. We'll add a link for you. Um, now, a couple of weeks ago, we put out a driver satisfaction survey. We wanted to see what drivers you were buying and how satisfied you were with them. Tony, you've been digging through the results. We put them up on the website yesterday. What were some of your key takeaways from what you were seeing? What are, what are consumers buying? What did they feel? Yeah, this was super fun. Just, I mean, to... <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. To kind of just nerd out on the data and look at purchases through different demographic lenses was really cool. So, you know, what we saw largely mirrors the market, right? Hey, guess what? The the big four brands are, are TaylorMade, Callaway, Ping, and Titleist. Although in our survey, we actually did have more Ping buyers uh, in the market as a whole. That doesn't surprise me, right? TaylorMade is is the top selling brand in the market. Um, and I think if you're you're trying to explain the d discrepancy, my best guess is that 
you know, the the my golf spy reader viewer is more likely to get fitted for a driver than than the you know golfing population as a whole. And you know when we broke it down, what we see is that TaylorMade and Callaway tend to be the most popular choices among off the rack buyers. And so you know that's kind of where we started, and then you know we can get into whatever you think is interesting. But lots of other kind of ways we split it out to ultimately decide and understand not only hey who is the most happiest with their driver purchase, but but try and understand what factors really contribute to a high level of satisfaction with your driver. The other thing I was very interested to see too is looking at it by the ability of the player. So seeing higher handicaps versus lower handicaps, and seeing who was maybe more satisfied or not. Like that one was interesting to me that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but basically almost a correlation between the better the player you are, the more satisfied you were with your purchase. An an absolute correlation. (laughs) So So, I think like that's a really interesting one for me to dig into because it's like, okay, is that person, you know, it's the chicken or egg. It's, it's, it's a correlative relationship or is it causal, right? Are they a better player because they get fit get a product that's going to maybe work better for them initially and then tend to stick with it longer and not surprisingly enough, get feedback that's like, yeah, I'm still really happy about this. There's got to be something there. It's like, well, you know, if you're an 18 handicap, I can almost guarantee you, you don't like your driver right now. That that was, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Harry, right off the top of the report, it says 18% of the people that we surveyed did not demo a single club before they bought it. Could you imagine going out and putting a driver in your bag and not having tried it before? I can imagine it, yeah. As a junior, I used to maybe hit, go to the range, go to my pro shop, tape it up. So I had to tape it up the face which is completely irrelevant if you want to try and feel spin and all that kind of stuff. But as a kid, you wouldn't know that. You just try not to sky it. I used to go down to the range and hit maybe three shots with it and be like, oh, this feels nice. I'll take this. And that's, I wouldn't even class that as demoing it, to be honest. So as 18%, I'm surprised it's not even higher. Are you surprised that um, TaylorMade came out on top in terms of that's what most people are buying? No, I think they do a fantastic job of marketing at the end of the day. I really do. I think they, they, they have a great team when it comes to that. What I will say that's super interesting about TaylorMade in general, not only do they do they resonate loudly, but they resonate almost equally across the entire demographic of, of handicap ranges. Yeah, we, that's we survey. So we went what I think we broke it up in in five point chunks of, you know, scratch to zero, zero to five, basically, so on and so forth. And it was only, I want to say it was either 10 to 15 or 15 to 20. I'd have to double check which which bucket it was. But it was in only in one of those two buckets that TaylorMade didn't account for 20% of the driver purchases. And for that one, it was like 18 and a half or 19%. So it was like almost there. So you can effectively say that that TaylorMade has almost equal appeal across every handicap demographic, certainly among our readers. And there is no other brand that you can remotely say that for. So if you look at the pattern for ping, it kind of ramps up and it's, you know, they, right. they do all right across the board, 
But they have peaks, right? They have peaks in different areas. They don't really start to peak until you get like 10 to 20. Yeah. That's that's kind of the ping sweet spot. And if you look at Callaway, they don't do really particularly well with scratch or better golfers. They start to tick up in the zero to five. And in that five to 10 range is their strength. They and, take and off there. Yeah, Titleist is at its strongest from scratch to about by once you hit the 10 handicap, they start to to drop off. And of course, again, you look at brands like Cleveland and Wilson, they tend to their their strength tends to be and it's it's a relative strength, of course, but tends to be with the higher handicap players. So right. it is really interesting to see kind of all right, who who peaks where uh, if, if handicap is kind of your baseline metric. Right, Tony, of those big companies, when we look at and you can go back to our driver testing too it's not like there's a gap in any of the lineups where it's like oh shit you know we don't have a a great driver to fit the typical 10 to 15 handicap player right like you know tailor-made titleist callaway you know ping cobra you look across the driver lineup they have products that we can easily say would fit the most typical player at each of those demographic you know the each of those handicap regions yet tailor-made is like equally applicable uh to everybody yeah there is no group to which tailor-made does not appeal if if you define your group by handicap and that's that is a a very very unique kind of thing i guarantee you that that titleist would love to be sort of in that equation for the golfer who thinks he needs forgiveness and for whatever reason doesn't consider Titleist to be a forgiving brand is is crazy, you know, knowing what we know about MOI numbers and things like that, it, it you know, it, it doesn't make sense, but perception is matters probably as much, if not more than anything else in the marketplace. Ping similarly doesn't resonate quite as well with the better player. They they kind of hit that, that middle. And then, you know, we've talked about Callaway, uh, before where they just don't resonate as well as they'd like to with that better slash elite golfer. And that comes through as well. That's cool. I actually found this very interesting. Tony, you wrote that golfers who spend the most money, which you said is more than a thousand dollars are more likely to be satisfied and people's willingness to be unsatisfied goes up as the price goes down. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's... is that like a like a confirmation <laughs> bias? If I spent this much money on this, so of course I'm happy with it. it it's funny. It's like, it could be like a multitude of reasons. Money, money can't buy happiness, but but it maybe can buy you a driver that it you can are buy you a happy. boat. Not happiness, but it can buy you satisfaction. Yeah. And, and again, I think that is confirmation <laughs> bias to an extent, and it's a couple factors. One, like. Fuck! If I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on a driver, right. I'm I'm going to convince myself that I love it, and that's what I mean. Yeah. The, the other thing too, like to to get to a point where you've spent a thousand dollars on drivers, you've gone through an experience and you've put some exotic components in it, and yeah, like a premium shaft by no measure guarantees performance, but it's but it's like a predetermined outcome. I mean, it's yeah, like, you can kind of convince yourself pretty quickly. Well, yeah, you justify it. Yeah, like think of like the emotional hurdles you have to go through to say, you know what? I just took my wife out for this, you know, awesome anniversary dinner. Dropped three hundred dollars, beautiful steaks, all this stuff. Yeah, it sucked. I am not satisfied at all. Like, think that about was the, tainted beef. Yeah, think about like the emotional. Like, you know, yeah, I got this head. I got that. Paid for the three hundred fifty dollar upgraded shaft. Did this, that. Walked out and. Yeah, I'm just not feeling it. I mean, I it just I I mean, like you have to kind of admit to yourself that like you failed yourself, you know. And I think people <laughs> don't want to admit that when they spend that much. But hey, 
I bought a really shitty driver for $183, and I don't like it anymore. And that's why I'm bad at golf. I'm dissatisfied. There's no shame in like, yeah, I didn't spend much on this, and I don't like it, and yeah, whatever. Yeah, like I, I only spent three hundred. What, what did I expect? I didn't expect to be happy for. I didn't expect to be able to buy a PXG, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole other conversation. That's a yeah. whole different. Yeah, you know, one like, hey, um, golfers who get fit for their clubs are mm-hmm. uh, significantly more likely to be satisfied with their purchase than those who don't, and so. You know, there there's still out there some out there that believe that that fitting doesn't matter in terms of performance, and I would argue there's no argument to be had. Like it absolutely does. And then the next piece of it is like, yeah, not only will you very likely get a club that performs better for you, but yeah, you're gonna be just generally happier about. I'm not gonna buy. argue with you. I'm just gonna explain to you why I'm right. <laughs> All right. So some interesting insights for everybody to go take a look at. There, we'll link it here. Um, otherwise, you can find it on the website. Uh, Tony. What time is it? Mailbag! There we go. That's what I like to hear. Uh, the dog just just jumped up and left the room like the, something was going on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to your dog, but that's yeah, a necessary no, part of the show. So this week, Daniel White, one of our readers, wants your opinion on what to yeah. buy in terms of shafts. He says, curious of your opinion and guidance. If I was debating about switching from steel to graphite shafts in my Ping G410. Chris, what would you tell Daniel? We're talking, uh, we're talking iron shafts here. G410 irons, yes. I hope he if, if he has a steel shaft <laughs> I was and his G410 say, driver. Right yes. now, buddy, if you're <laughs> yes, playing a 410 going. driver with like an old DGX100 driver shaft, uh, yeah, we, we we should talk. You know what? What I tell you this: absolutely, be open to the differences that are out there. I am encouraged by a lot of the different options that are out there. I don't necessarily see a tremendous downside to to graphite with the one exception being potentially cost. You know, if you're going to be okay investing, maybe it's going to be 60, 70, 80, 100 dollars a club to to get them reshafted and go that route. Absolutely. I don't think that there's a tremendous downside to it. I would explore it. Um we know that some companies have additional products coming out here in the next call it 6, 8, 10, 12 months. Uh, Mitsubishi's MMT has been super popular this year, especially because they had it in that 125 gram range, which has really attracted a lot of faster tempo, better players potentially that need a little bit heavier shaft. You know, you're seeing offerings get into that 120 to 125 gram range. So people aren't having to make that choice between, hey, geez, I really like the graphite idea, but I, I, I just can't play a 100 gram shaft, 110 gram shaft. I really need something heavier. So there are, we're starting to see companies put more resources and energy and effort into that particular segment of the graphite shaft area and also getting EI profiles that match really popular clubs or really popular shafts like, uh, I'm going to say like a Dynamic Gold X100, you know, something that people might have played in the past to say, okay, this isn't a totally different bend profile than what I'm used to. So I'd say full steam ahead, all systems go, give it a run. Let us know if uh, if you go that route. Tony, what would you tell Daniel? I would say it's it's worth kicking the tires on, but Chris mentioned, right? One downside is cost and, and the other significant downside is is that there just isn't that multitude of profiles available. And you don't span the same type of weight classes that you do. So, you know, if you are a a true 125 gram type of player, the guy who still wants that at, uh, heavier iron shaft still benefits from that iron shaft. 
maybe two legit options out there. I, and I don't even know if, if Recoil is still, if they're even still making the 125s other than the Protos. So, you know, it's not a huge market. And so if you tend to be on, on the, that edge of the bell curve, it, it can be tricky to find a graphite shaft that works. But if you're in that, that call it 95 to 105 and even up to 115 in some cases kind of range, then yeah, you're, you're starting to see more options out there, more profiles now. You know, we sort, sort of are in this, this dearth of availability being caused by, by COVID and supply chain issues and everything that goes with that. So, you know, it, it may not be the best time to switch because you may be... <laughs> There's not a lot of selection and what we do yeah. have is not available. So other than that... Yeah, Chris mentioned, right, that's something that's coming in the next two, three, four... 24 months kind of thing and that's i mean that's the reality for 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 everything so yeah i think there are opportunities there and especially if you know you're you're looking for something that provides a little softer feel for me it was like all right let's see if i can take a little stress out of the elbow because i was having problems there and so in those respects it can be hugely beneficial but at the end of the day like the thing that has to happen first is that it fits you well. And so if you're not getting a good fit out of, of graphite options, that's probably where the conversation needs to end. But it really depends where you fit on that bell curve. All right, Harry, I know you're a graphite guy. What are you telling Daniel? I say give it a go. I would buy one, put it in, the, in your 7-iron, see if you like it, see if you get too much play on it. And if you do, then you can end up tipping it like I did. I ended up tipping it uh, actually three quarters of an inch. Cause I just wanted a baby draw or a baby fade. I was getting a little bit too much play with my swing, but at the end of the day, I feel like you can, you can do a lot more with graphite shafts than you can with steel. If it's steel, you, you put it, you put it in and that's it. That's your bend profile. That's your torque. That's your kick point. Yes. They have a lot more options to play with, but if you like the, the stability of a graphite shaft, like I did, my dispersion got better. My consistency of spin rate got better. My strike got better with with these graphite shafts from Fuji. That is where I was like, all right, well, something in this. Let's adapt this shaft to my swing. And that's where I started tipping it a quarter of an inch at a time. I just feel like you can do a lot more with graphite shafts than you can with steel. So I'm all for it. I, th- I say give it a go. See what it is. And I used to be at X100. So that's 130 gram, I think, or 132 extra stiff shaft and i went down to 115 grams and didn't notice a difference but i tell you what i did notice is towards the end of a round i was more fresh when it came to the last three or four holes in that heat than trying to lug 130 grams around my neck trying to swing it as hard as i can to try and get the best out of it it's such a weird thing to think about but i do like it's it's something i know for a fact that that ping has looked at is you know, if if we shave some weight out of a club, like does that actually reduce fatigue over the the course of a of a round of golf? I definitely felt it for sure. I definitely felt it. So, all right, to look at. Daniel, you've got three answers. Let us know if you end up buying graphite or steel or moving from one to the other. Uh, we're interested. And otherwise, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, we've been Chris. You were awesome in the comments this past week. So, if you have any specific questions, let us know, and we'll try to. Hit you up in the comments. All right, we out.